Good morning. So glad to see each one of you here. Welcome to WCF. We're so glad that you're here. Those of you joining us online, welcome. We're here this morning to worship our God, who's a good God, who's a great God. As you can see, we're going to be partaking of communion again uh, today to remind ourselves of the great gift that God has given us. And so we're here to worship him. So I invite you to stand and let's worship him for the rhythms of grace that he gives us.
morning. You can all have a seat. I, I trust that the extra hour of sleep helped you. How many of you guys woke up early? Yep, yep. I was telling the worship team this morning at prayer, the uh, probably like the over, over 30 crowd, they all got up at the normal time and the under 30 crowd, they were all sleeping in going, I wish church was at one today. To honor him for all that he's given us. We praise you and we thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather in this place. That we have a, a roof over our head and, and we've had a meal today and a, a warm place to meet. Not everybody has that opportunity. Lord, you've called us to be your hands and your feet. To bring the gospel to the least, to the lost, and to the marginalized. And Lord, it's here that we gather and we worship you and become empowered and, and learn how important a relationship with you is so that we can go out into the world as your missionaries and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we would ask that this morning you would receive our worship as intended a praise unto you. These offerings, may you use them for your glory, for your kingdom. And may you be honored by everything that's said and done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
about clinging to you. God, again, that's our prayer that we just say, that we would keep you first and foremost in our lives, and that everything else that surrounds us, the challenges and struggles of life, the joys of life, all of that would fade away, and that we would always have our face turned towards you and our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you are dearly loves us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 23. As we're coming to an end of the narrative of Joshua and Israel being in the land of Canaan, have you ever considered what is the greatest threat to your mental, spiritual, or emotional peace? We want peace. We want, to, we want to be at peace. We want to be in a state of peace. But peace is, is, is very fragile. Being at that place of, of mental, emotional, or spiritual peace, it's a very fragile condition that has to be handled carefully. And so many people are seeking peace. They want peace in the world. They want, they want peace in their life. They, they want all kinds of peace, but the problem is, is as they seek out peace, they're really seeking for the solution of peace in all the wrong ways. C.S. Lewis once said this, God cannot give us peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing as peace apart from God. If you want peace, you have to start with the peacemaker. We pray for peace in Jerusalem, and we should. We pray for peace in Israel, and we should. We pray for peace in the world, and we should. But there is no peace until the peacemaker comes, and his name is Jesus Christ. As we, we look at this desire for peace, 
people try to find the peace of mind, so they'll buy things. Or they'll find peace of mind, so they'll go find a rock and sit underneath a tree and, and, and do all of these different things. Or they'll do physical gymnastics and all of these other things and try to get in with themselves and find peace. And that's all well and good until you encounter somebody from the world. And then peace seems to run out the window. It's not peace from conflict, it's peace in conflict and being in that place. And to find peace, we need to do one thing. Cling to God in all circumstances. The only way you're going to be able to have peace is really to cling to the Lord in everything and in all things. Jesus would say in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because it's the peace of Christ that dwells in our hearts. It's the peace of Christ that will garrison our heart and our mind. But you're not going to find it unless you have that relationship with God and remain in that relationship with God. If you don't cling to the Lord in all things, you will not have peace. Jesus spoke these words to the disciples as He was getting ready to leave. And you look at that and you go, well... He's leaving, and, and if He goes, then what are we going to do? You're going to be at peace. Because He leaves His presence of peace. Israel is in the same situation. Joshua is about ready to die. This nation only knows Joshua as their leader, the one that's been the connection to Yahweh God, that has brought peace and brought leadership and all of that. But when the leader goes, then they start freaking out. What are we going to do? Who's going to lead us? And Joshua very wisely is redirecting their dependence upon him to be dependent upon the Lord. Jesus very wisely to his disciples are saying, you don't be dependent upon me. Be dependent upon the Holy Spirit whom I'm going to leave for you. To be able to be in that place, to cling to God, is our greatest place of peace. And these final two chapters, in chapter 23 and 24, they're two parts of farewell addresses. Chapter 23 is Joshua's farewell address to the elders or the leaders of the nation of Israel. Chapter 24 is his farewell address to the people. They're very similar, but they've got some different nuances that are there. To the elders, he's talking to them as the spiritual leaders to take up their roles in leadership in the clans. Because keep in mind, Israel is now at rest in the land. They have all of their inheritance. They have all the clans have their, their, their designated areas. Central leadership is going to be at the tabernacle, which is at Shiloh. But they're not going to have a military leader anymore. When Joshua leaves, there's no military leadership. They'll be dependent upon the high priest. At this time, it's Eliezer, who is the direct connection with God. And, and understanding that Joshua now has fi finished his role in the military realm. It's done within this. It's very common in Near Eastern culture for the patriarchal leader to leave with directions and leave blessings. We know Abraham did it. We know Moses did it. We know that David did it. Within this. And so Joshua's last words 
are a promise and a commitment. Last words are kind of important. That's what we hang on to. And, and, and we give more emphasis to those famous last words that are said. And so he's trying to embed in them the need to cling to God. And he gives to them a promise. Now, mind you, this promise is conditional. God gave them the land. And as long as Israel clings to the Lord, clings to Yahweh in the land, they'll be at peace. But if they reject the Lord, and if they abandon God, there will not be peace in the land. Question. Do we see that as being true even today? We do. The battle in Israel today is a direct result of violating this principle. Understanding, had Israel continued to cling to the Lord from this moment forward in all of its existence, the Lord would continue to fight for them. And they never would have been put into exile, as we'll read, or removed from the land in 70 A.D. But the other aspect that we've got we to grasp in understanding this is God's faithful to His Word always. And Israel's faithlessness does not undo or negate God's faithfulness. God will fight for His kids. But He's disciplining them in the process. But what does that mean for us? It means for us this. That we need to Understand, the key to spiritual blessing really is clinging to the Lord in everything and never abandoning Him. And we'll see what that looks like as we unpack these 16 verses of Joshua 23. If you would stand, we're going to read through the text. Joshua's address. Imagine yourself, you're just outside of the, the tabernacle, you're in Shiloh, there's, there's a desert area with rocks, you are one of the elders of your clan. And these are the words that your military leader and spiritual leader has been, is about to give you. So it says, Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all of their enemies on every side. Joshua was old and advanced in years. And that Joshua called for all of Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I am old and advanced in years. If you have seen, or I'm sorry, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all of these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain in the inheritance for your tribes with all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan, even to the great sea towards the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you, and you will possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Now be very firm, then, to keep and do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you, and as you, no man has stood before you to this day. 
one of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord your God is He who fights for you, just as He promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them, so that you associate with them, and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they will be a snare and a trap to you, and a whip on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one of word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. It will come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And when you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. If you were an elder or a leader or a judge and you were sitting there and you were listening to this, you'd go, oh. That's serious as a heart attack. Man, he's just, he's bringing it. Joshua addresses these leaders. He needed to address the leaders because he knew that that the leadership of the nation was going to be dispersed among all of these clans leaders. He sees the nation of Israel as one nation, undivided under God. Have you heard that before? Because that is, that is the theocratic rule. That is God taking charge. He addresses these leaders knowing that he is coming to this end. His time was over to live on this earth. We all will die someday. Unless the Lord comes and takes us home. Which would be good. Today would be a good day. But the reality is... There will be a legacy that you'll leave behind. Words that you need to leave behind to the next generation within that. We're not told of the timing of this meeting, but to give you a kind of an idea of what's going on within this, Joshua would die at 110. That's pretty old. I don't ever want to be 110. If he was a contemporary of Caleb's, and he was, Caleb had received his inheritance when he was 85. And Caleb, Caleb was a warrior. Man, he was a stud. At 85, he says, I want the hill country, and I want to go, and I want to fight some more. Most 85-year-olds I know are sitting in a rocking chair on their porch. And, but this guy's like, let me at him. But if we take a look at the timing of this between Joshua being 110 Caleb getting at 85, we can kind of, in getting his inheritance then, we can figure out there is about 20 years between this conversation and, and Caleb's in that last. So they got about 20 years of occupation 
where all the tribes are within their land. So it's a good amount of time from the time that the Transjordanian tribes that we covered last week have gone back home. So they've all settled into their place. And it's about 20 years of just existing that is there within this. And so he's calling these elders and these leaders up because now they're going to have to do this without him. But when we think about the, the greatest threat, what really is the greatest threat to Israel's peace in the land? In 20 years, what is Israel's greatest threat? God's been fighting for them for 20 years. What's their greatest threat? Is it a military from outside of the land coming in and invading them? No. It's the remnant of Canaanites that remained in the land that they didn't finish clearing out. It wasn't a military attack that was their greatest threat. It was, to their, their peace, it was a moral or spiritual apostasy that would come from within. That's their greatest threat. Their greatest threat was that they still had given an on-ramp for the enemy to come in and to lead them in a place of compromise. Because they didn't get rid of all the people out of the land as God had told them to within this. As we read through this text, one of the things that we got up, it says, God will continue to fight for you. Now, why is that in there? Because they still had to remove all of the people. They had to finish getting rid of them. There was four different tribes that, still, that said, we can't get them all out, so we're just going to live with them. Is it dangerous to live with those that could spiritually influence you to sin? Is it dangerous to give an on-ramp or leave an on-ramp to sin? Absolutely it is. And so as, as Joshua is leading them, he's saying, look it, your greatest threat is syncretism. Now again, we've, we've talked about syncretism in the past. What is syncretism? Syncretism basically is taking two ideologies or two faith systems and merging them together. Or many faith systems and merging them all in together. That's super dangerous. Why? Because the purity of a relationship with the Lord God now becomes contaminated with secular or worldly or cultic thinking. The minute you start bringing those things in or entertaining them, then the purity of the Word of God now begins to be contaminated within that. We say, well, we should all get along. Can you show me where it says that? Well, they're people. Yeah, they're people. God loves them. They're sinners. They need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That their sin is separating them from righteousness. And all the humanistic thinking is not going to get you to heaven. Good works is not going to get you there. Only the sacrifice of Jesus and surrendering yourself and confessing your sins. Say, so carry that's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. Because the minute you start compromising your faith or compromising your, your, your belief system, and you start adding to the Word of God or subtracting from the Word of God, you no longer have the Word of God within this. And the problem with Israel at this time is they were allowing these Canaanites to live with them and be slaves for them. Well, then they would continue worshiping their false gods. And then 
the Jews would be raising up their kids with these Canaanite kids, and now it would be very difficult for the Jewish kids that are growing in this culture that now is accepting these Canaanite kids and their ideologies for the Jewish parents to say, well, you know, you really shouldn't do that. That, 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 that is a false... But mom, dad, then why are they still here? Why do you let them be here? See, God intended for them to be separate. And so as Joshua is getting ready to depart this earth, his message is very, very clear. To cling to the Lord... Why? Because, of, first of all, God's past faithfulness. If you want to succeed in the future, cling to the Lord. Well, how can I know that I trust God for my future? You know how you know? Consider His past. And if God's been faithful in the past, will He not be faithful in the future? The answer is what? Absolutely yes. And so verses 3 through 8 After this introduction, he says this. He says, And have you seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the nations because of you? For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. And then Joshua says for his part, he says, See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes with all of the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan, even to the great sea. You are here because of the work that God has done. And Joshua has been the distributor of God's blessing. You're here because God chose to bless you. You're in this land because God fought for you. You are here because God provided for you. And you've been receiving an inheritance of this because of God's grace towards you. Have you ever considered all the faithfulness that God has demonstrated towards you? If you want to, if you want to know if God's trustworthy, just consider what He's done in the past. And, and that gives you an on-ramp to be able to trust Him in the future. Understand very clearly, this land, the land of Israel, even today, did and always belongs to God. It is God's. He brought Israel into this land and He gave them a promise for them to receive a special blessing. For for Israel to be a light unto all of the nations. They were to be His, His children to be able to evangelize the world. But if going into the land and receiving this blessing within this... You violate that relationship. God gave it to you. God can take you, take you out of it. It was His. Part of the promise was not just land. And it really isn't about the land as much. It's about the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that He made with Abraham. If you remember in our study in the past, there were three things to Abraham. I will give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. It was the Messiah that was to be birthed through this nation To provide salvation for the whole world. And they're on the front end of it. And he says, look, I'm getting you in this land to set up a conduit by which the Messiah Jesus will come through you to bring blessing to the whole world. Don't mess it up. Maintain that, that pure relationship. And God would fulfill that promise by fighting for them to get them into that land. Deuteronomy 7.1 says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, 
where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, Hittites, Gersherites, Amorites, Canaanites, Pezzarites, Hivites, Jebusites, and every other right you can think of, seven nations greater than you. God does it. And you receive this inheritance and this promise. Joshua 11.23 says this, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to the divisions by their tribes. Joshua is God's warrior, an executor of God's will. Joshua led the battle, and then he became the executor of God's will. God's will is, you get this land. Joshua is a type of Jesus, Yoshua, who is God's warrior and defeated sin, sorrow, and death, and is the executor of God's will. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance to be able to offer eternal life. Joshua is a type of Jesus. And he says to the people of Israel, he says, this is your inheritance. It is, it is God's will you live in this land and you be in relationship with Yahweh God. Jesus says, this is your inheritance. Believe on me and receive eternal life in relationship with holy God. They're very similar. And as Joshua says to the people, as you are living in this land and living in your inheritance, cling to the Lord. Jesus says the same way. As you are living in this world, and are there still enemies in this world? Yes. Are there threats to our spiritual, emotional, and mental peace because of this world? The answer is what? Yes. So what should we do? Cling to the Lord. It's the same message that Joshua is telling the people that Jesus would tell us to cling to the Lord in this. And again, as I said, the problem is Israel didn't fully remove all the people. So there was a constant threat to their peace. A constant threat. Why? Because they were living with the world in the promised land. Spiritually, Christians, we are living in this world, though we are not of this world, but we are living in this world, and there is a constant threat to our emotional and spiritual peace. Why? Because we are surrounded by ungodliness. And there is a temptation to live a life of syncretism within the context of saying, well, they're here, we might as well get along with them. God says, no. We shouldn't. Joshua understands that he's going to leave and the people need to be responsible. In fact, he says he's old. He, apparently he's been old for a long time because in Joshua 13.1 he says the same thing. He says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years and very much of the land remains in possession. You know you've got to be old when God looks at you and says, You're old. But there was work to be done. In talking with some of our senior saints, one of their greatest fears and, and trepidations is their children not knowing the Lord or not walking with the Lord as they should. These prodigal children that perhaps grew up in the church, grew up in faith, 
have now practiced syncretism in accepting worldly philosophy and ideology into their life and now not walking with the Lord. And I hear quite often, my kids are not going to church. My kids are, are, are they're just worshiping God their own way. Which is a joke because the fact is they're worshiping God in their own way. What they're really saying is, I'm worshiping God in the worldly way. It's a syncretistic way. In Hebrews, we, we read, Do not forsake the assembling of the saints as become a custom of some. When you stop spending time in fellowship and in the world, you start listening to the other voices. And those other voices will speak it, and give promises that, that are, are not capable of being fulfilled. Joshua is very clear. He says this, Be firm, cling to the Lord. I've been accused many times of being very narrow-minded. That's okay. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few are that find it. I want to be narrow-minded. Well, Carrie, you're pretty closed-minded. You should open your mind to all the options, opportunities. No, if you open your mind, your brain leaks out. No. Well, you should be listening to this person or that person or this person, and they got some ideas. And all the, Have you ever thought about that? No. There's only one voice that I need to listen to, and that's the voice of God. And I would encourage you, and, and some people will try to guilt you, they'll try to shame you, they'll try to say, hey, look, you're not cool, and all these other things. Well, it's not going to work. God has not called us to be cool. God's called us to be holy within this. Joshua repeats what he, what he was told by God, Joshua 1.7, that he is to keep the word of the Lord and not turn to the what? Left or to the right. It is a very narrow condition. Israel's success would be directly related to their dependence upon God. Church, your spiritual success and your spiritual peace will be directly related to the extent that you are clinging to the Lord. Hanging on to God. And for some people, it is a death grip. You may be in the midst of turmoil. You may be in the midst of warfare. You may be going, I am hanging on and I am white-knuckling it. But that's okay. Because if you're white-knuckling it and clinging to the Lord, it's not that you have Him. He has you. He has you within this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in how many ways? All your ways. Do what? Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord and Him alone. Joshua is going off scene, and he's redirecting the people to trust in the Lord. Second, he says, be pure. Keep yourselves uncontaminated by those that are still living among you, within that. The people that remain in, in the land. Don't get mixed up with their gods. We just did Harvest Fair on Halloween. Why did we not just do like costumes and make it all cool and all of that stuff? Because I don't want to get mixed up with the world. 
We should not get mixed up with the world. We should not get mixed up with our gods. And it's imperative culturally for the Jews that we're going to live in the land and they had these Canaanites that were all living in the land not to intermarry. That's part of getting mixed up. When I do premarital counseling, I'll do a wedding for two believers. I'll do a wedding for two non-believers. I will not do a wedding for a believer and a non-believer. I won't do it. Why? Because that violates God's word. You say, well, Carrie, why would you do a wedding for two non-believers? Because they're both non-believers. But they have to go through my premarital counseling, which is all biblically based. Nine sessions of the Bible. And, and then I'll marry him. I'll do the wedding. Let them have their civil union. But we're very clear in the process, and I can tell you this, there's been a good number of people that have come to the Lord in the process of doing the premarital counseling for them. Within that. It gives them that foundation that's there. But the problem is, mixing up with people of different faith systems is syncretism. I can't tell you how many people, and if you're, if you're a young person in here and you're saying, well, I'm dating a non-Christian, stop it. Stop it. Well, you know, maybe I can, I can bring them to the Lord by dating them. No, you can't. There's no such thing as missionary dating. God did not say go into all the world and date the non-believers so that you might evangelize them. It's not there. The problem is with syncretism in a faith system is this. You are more prone because of, the, of how your flesh is still driven by sin nature. You are more prone to acquiesce to an ungodly system and lifestyle than to bring someone who is unregenerated to live. And the best they can do is mimic a biblical lifestyle. But unless they're regenerated, they'll never come to faith. They, they have to be regenerated. And so within this, we've got to understand that if you're dating a non-believer and you get married to a non-believer, what are you going to do at Christmas time? What are you going to do when it comes to Easter? What are you going to do when it comes to going to church? And anybody that's in this room that has dated a non-believer understands the battle of trying to get an unbelieving spouse to support the spiritual aspects of the home and try to get the kids into church. Just don't do it. You say, but I love them. Yeah, I love in and out too, but I'm not marrying a 4 by 4 <laughs> The problem is it's pride. And, and so we've got to understand, pridefully adopting faith. There was a thing with the church of Corinth where they got prideful. Look at us, we're so open, we're so accepting of all of these systems and all of these faith systems and we're just, we're just gonna, we're just gonna be open to everybody. First Corinthians 5, 6 says this. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? We boast about the fact that we can be accepting of all of these different lifestyles and beliefs and faith systems, but the problem is, it's still sin. And sin contaminates. And it wouldn't take Israel long to fail in this. This is Joshua's warning. 
I'm about to die. You're going to be in charge. All you elders, you better lead these people into a pure life and finish the work that, that needs to be done. Get these other people out of here. Oh no, we can handle it. We got it, we got it, Joshua. We're good. Until Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 19, and you can read it for yourselves. What did they do? They fell away. And the cycle of sin begins in Judges where the text repeats itself. And everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Sin, sorrow, suffering, and shame would be the theme of Judges. Time and time again. Why was Joshua dealing with the leaders first? Because as leadership goes, so goes the congregation. It's a top-down issue. Spiritual leaders are essential to be able to teach, to cling to the Lord. The word cling in Hebrew is dabak. Dabak literally means to be joined, to stay close, to pursue, to weld together. It's like glue. It's like a marriage. Cling to the Lord. We know that it was first established and used in Genesis 2.24. It's a different word, but it's the same same picture of being glued together. And a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And the two shall become, how much? One flesh. Good, you all know it. To cling. The idea is that we are to cling. And a marriage is the greatest picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Where Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And we are to cling to Christ as our, as our spiritual husband. To be glued. God's design for marriage. One man, one woman, glued together as long as they live. God's design for the spiritual relationship of the church. One person, one God, glued together in Christ for all eternity. Cling. That's what cling means within this. To be able to be in that place where you're united. Jeremiah 7.23 says this, But this is what I commend them, saying, Obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and you will walk in the way which I command you that it will be, what? Well with you. So, What is Joshua telling Israel to do? Forsake the world, cling to God. Forsake the world, turn your back on the worldly lifestyle, the worldly philosophy, and cling to God. Because clinging to the world leads leads to sorrow. Verses 9 through 13, and we read through it, was God's promise. Cling to me and you'll be blessed. You'll stay in the land and it'll be well. But if you stop clinging to me, it's not going to go well for you. God's promise was conditional. And, and so many times I hear people and they're in turmoil. And the first question I'll ask them is, how's your relationship with God? Non-existent. Well, that's the first thing that you need to fix. God says, you stop clinging to me, I stop fighting for you. Now, had God given them a window of, of, of what that looks like? Sure. Can you think of AI? And Achan, who didn't obey the Lord, and God says, hands off, you get what you get within this. God is not going to bless rebellion or rejection. As a Christian, if you backslide and you stop clinging to the Lord, do not expect God to bail you out. 
You get what you get because you stop clinging to the Lord. We, we can and we should cling to God because of his proven track record. And Joshua rehearses that track record again. He says, just as he fought for you, he will continue to. And he reminds him of God's faithfulness. What did faithfulness look like? One guy goes against a thousand and the one guy wins. Now, if you had one guy that was going against a thousand warriors, what would you think the odds of that one guy winning is? Right? One against a thousand. That's not very good odds. One guy with God against a thousand. Oh, the odds just went up. You see, if you cling to the Lord, the odds are definitely in your favor. God always wins. And God says, I want you to remember that with this, and he's, he's actually quoting a promise out of Deuteronomy, that, that one guy will make a thousand to run. So what should you do to cling to the Lord? Take heed to whom you love. Pay attention to whom you love. Are you loving God or are you loving the Word? Again, this idea of love. Love is not an emotion. I'm sorry, but Valentine's Day is a lie. Love is a decision. It's a verb. It's a choice. It's a decision that everyone has to make every day with God. And the same is true with your spouse. You will wake up one morning and look at the person next to you and go, ugh. <laughs> then you have to make the decision, I choose to love him, or I choose to love her, because it's a decision. And the same thing is true with God. Every day, you make a choice. What does love mean? Love means I choose to be wholly devoted to that individual. I'm making the conscious decision to be wholly devoted to that individual and not have my heart divided within this. Giving your passion only to God and to God alone. What does it look like if you give your passion to God and to the world? You're a double-minded person at best. James says you are, what? Unstable in all of your ways within this. The threat to peace is being double-minded, trying to love God and trying to love the world at the same time. Within this, you can only love one. Your heart can only be given to one within this. Deuteronomy 6, 5, Joshua is calling them back to the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. What do you think the Bible says about loving God? Love God with all your what? Heart, soul, and mind. Cling. And God's not going to bless apostasy. God is not going to bless idolatry. And if you're a Christian and you backslide and you start loving the world more than God, God's going to take His hands off and say, you get what you get. Don't throw a fit. You know where to come back to. And when you're, when you're done, we have to be careful what we pursue. And often, God will give you over to what you're pursuing to teach you not to sin. You say, well, that's not very loving. Oh, no, it is. It is very loving. To give you over to what you're pursuing to teach you, I am not leading you in that direction. You want it? 
You get it. Think of the prodigal son. Father says, here you go. He ended up eating, eating with the pigs. Because he wanted the party lifestyle. He wanted all of that. But he knew where he was left within this. We need to choose and we need to cling. And if we don't choose and we don't cling to God, God will give us over. And the same faithful God that is faithful to His promises is the same faithful God that is faithful to His Word to judge. In Judges chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, specifically it says this, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them, and He sold them into the hands of the enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so they were severely distressed. What happened? They turned against the other gods. They committed spiritual adultery. They began to intermarry and they began to worship other gods. And God says, that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. I'm going to give you over to it. Within that. They, and, and they polluted all of these things. We're not going to read all the way through it, but in reference to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Do you remember a guy by the name of King Solomon? King Solomon, the smartest man that ever lived, God gave him wisdom beyond his years to rule well, gave his heart over to wives and concubines that turned his heart away from God. If you read Ecclesiastes, where he writes, Vanity, vanity, all things are vanity. How did he get to Ecclesiastes? Because he gave his heart over to the foreign gods and these women that were there. And he, Paul warns the church, specifically 2 Corinthians 6.14, Don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? And the answer is what? It doesn't within that. Finally, Joshua closes with verses 14 to 16. Just be faithful and keep God's word. Again, he, he closes it out with his fast words, his last words. He says, I'm dying and life is short. King David said the same thing in 1 Kings 2, 2 to 4. He says, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore. Show yourself as a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. Keep his statutes his commandments, his ordinances, his testimony according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn so that the Lord may carry out his promises which he has spoke concerning me. And if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth in all their heart and all of their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. The promise was if you do it right, there will always be a king on the throne from our family. Did that happen? No. Nope. God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful to His Word to bless. God is faithful to His Word to judge. Deuteronomy 28.15 says this, It will come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe all of His commandments and His statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. If you break covenant, you suffer. It's that plain and that simple. We are about to celebrate 
communion. Communion is the new covenant that the church resides under. The night before Jesus died, he took the elements, bread and the cup, and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. Take the cup. The cup represents my blood that was shed for you. And it's for the remission of sins. Understand this. As you take the cup and as you take the bread, you are being reminded as a Christ follower of the covenant relationship that you're in with God. Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. Set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have two choices. One, you can let the elements go by because they have no meaning for you. Or two, during this first song, as the elements were coming about and maybe God's been working on your heart, you can stop and surrender your heart to the Lord. And if God spoke to you this morning, you can pray in your heart of hearts right where you're at. Become a child of God by confessing that you're a sinner. We all are. And that only Jesus could pay the penalty for that sin at the cross. And believe that He did that for you. And say, God, would you please forgive me a sinner? Would you fill me with your love and a new spirit? Will you give me eternal life as that free gift? I want to be your child. Will you be my Lord? However you pray it. If you give God your heart this morning, He gives you eternal life and eternal inheritance. Then you can take the elements because they remind you of what Jesus did to give you that life. And if you're still confused about it, talk to me after this service. God, we pray that you would bless this time. That you have blessed this time according to your word and according to the spirit. That as these elements go out, that we would celebrate you. And we would honor you all of our days. In Jesus' name. Amen.
God, we thank you for the cross and all that it means. That our sins have been paid for. That that not just your death, but the resurrection has given to us the promise, the guarantee of eternal life to all that have put their faith and trust in you. As your people that are called by your name, living under the, the new covenant, ratified by your blood, we thank you. We thank you for your love, your compassion, your grace, your mercy, your kindness towards us. Let's hold the bread up before the Lord. Out of obedience, Lord Jesus, we lift up this bread. You said as often as you do this, taking this bread, that we're to remember you. This bread reminds us of the fact that this body, contaminated by sin, will be resurrected into eternal life, sinless. That, Lord Jesus, You took the pain and the sorrow that was due to us, that we would have to experience in this body, not just now, but for all eternity. You took that penalty so that we can shed this body of death and live in a body of life in Your presence. We thank You for this bread and all that it reminds us of and all that it promises. Until that day, we see you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. Let's receive this bread in Jesus' name. Let's lift this cup up before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we ask for your blessing upon this cup. This cup that reminds us of the new covenant ratified by your blood. A covenant of grace. We don't have to work our way in. Because you paid it all. Good works cannot pay the penalty of sin. Your blood did. And because you died and your blood was shed, we've been made clean. We stand before a holy God, even now, righteous and pure because of what you did over 2,000 years ago. We thank you for this cup. We look forward to the day when we will sit across that table in your presence in heaven, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you'll raise your glass, we'll raise ours. And we'll say, thank you. But until then, we raise our glass and we say, thank you. We receive this, this cup by faith. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Lord. As is our practice, in response of gratitude, we take up a special offering. It's a benevolent offering that goes to a, a, a specific fund that meets the people's needs. The ushers are going to come forward and, and take that up as we close out with this song. God, we thank you for the blessing of communion and the blessing of life that you've given to us. May we seek you first in all the things that we do. For this offering that's being taken up may it be used for your kingdom's glory. May it meet every need that is intended by you, Holy Spirit. Funnel, funnel these resources wherever they need to go. From you, through us, to those in need. 
for your glory. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. priority. May we seek you first and your righteousness, knowing all these other things will be added to us. Lord, we pray that as we go out today, we would be a people that would cling to you and you alone. May our passion be for you and you alone. And may we reflect your glory to the world so that they would fall in love with you and choose to love you. Lead us, Holy Spirit, we pray in all that we say and do. And may everything we say and do make you smile, God. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.